Hello there and welcome to the first episode of our new podcast, On Being People. Uh, I'm Keith Baker and, and this I'm, is... And I'm Paul Lucas. Fantastic. We're both ministers uh, at St Paul's Anglican Church in Sydney, Australia. And we decided, maybe foolishly, to dive into this podcast because uh, we're both interested in this topic of theological anthropology or what it means to be human, what it means to be a person from God's point of view. And so the plan is over a few episodes, we don't know how many, not too many, we promise, we're going to talk about all sorts of things about what it means to be human, what the Bible says about that, and then what are the implications of that for us living as Christians under God and in the world that he's made us to live in. Uh, there's a few different reasons that we wanted to make this podcast. Paul, do you want to tell us why you've jumped into this? Yeah. Well, uh, a few years ago, obviously, did a little, little bit of study on this. I'm no academic on this topic, but did some study and it really fascinated me. And, uh, and also thinking about what, what you, who we are as humans from God's point of view. Sometimes I, I worry that particularly as God's church, humans become the center rather than God. And so how do those two things relate really appeal to me. And uh, one of the things that we did on that course that we did, uh, that the, the person who ran the course started with this really stark photo of um, some things that were going on during a war and say, what, what do we learn about the people from the photo? And it just fascinated me. And I actually asked him, um, we had to come up with a research topic and I asked him if I could write an essay on the Joker from The Dark Knight because I loved Christopher Nolan's take on evil in yeah. humanity. Yeah. And so those sort of things just started welling up. And uh, as a minister or as a pastor, you know, I, I care about people, but I also know that God does. And that's the, that's the impetus for me to care. And so I just wanted to explore that more and how yep. I can do that better. Fantastic. It's funny, actually, the first time we met was doing that course it on was. theological anthropology. And, uh, and then years later, we reconnected here on the staff of St. Paul's and we said, where do we know each other from? <laughs> oh, that's right. We studied that together. We did. So there is a bit of a connection there for us, which is great. Um, I think for me... One of the reasons I'm fascinated in this is uh, we have a son who has uh, disabilities and that throws into stark contrast you know, people's attitudes towards human beings based on their capabilities. Yeah. And you experience that a lot as parents um, navigating the world for him. And so that drove me back to the Bible to, to say, okay, getting down to brass tacks, you know, who are humans? What's the what's the common denominator for all human beings from God's point of view? Yeah. And what's the future for human beings? Um, and that drove me into the topic. Yeah, nice. And I think one of the reasons we want to do this podcast, I think, is um, we've tried to uh, maybe preach some sermons on this and we just feel like there may not be enough time to get into the depth that we want to get into and... Uh, expose people to lots of people's thinking and all the Bible has to say in you know a twenty minute sermon yeah. every now and then. So here's a chance, I guess, for us to dive deeper into that. Yeah. And what we want to do, I think, as in these podcasts as we go, we want to pick a topic and uh, interact with that topic and the Bible and see what the Bible has to say about that. We want to introduce people to some 
uh, great thinkers on these topics yes. from the past. Don't freak out. It won't be heavy and big. We just want to give you little <laughs> bite size. We, we can only take bite size ourselves. So we'll, yes. we'll uh, introduce you to that. We'll think about what that means for us living. So we'll go into ethics and social ethics and things like that. And we're going to try and have a bit of fun as we do it as well. And hopefully... Uh, we're not aiming to be comprehensive on this, but informative. Yeah. Uh, we're learning and we're going to share our learning with you as we go. Yeah. That sounds like what we want to do. So uh, to dive us into our first topic, we want to look at, uh, I was fascinated by this quote I saw in the news. At the time we're recording this, we're still in the middle of the covid 19 crisis things are easing up here in new south wales in australia but across the world things are are, are very bleak they die yeah uh, in the usa in particular the cases are um are going through the roof earlier on well a little bit earlier on this is a quote from the new york governor governor cuomo in the beginning of may uh, i think they just begun to lock things down well, they, they had locked things down in New York and they were talking about reopening so that the economy could start getting back on its feet and the cost and all that. Yeah. And he said something fascinating. How much do we think a human life is worth? There's a cost of staying closed, no doubt. Economic cost, personal cost. There's also a cost of reopening quickly. The faster re we reopen, the lower the economic cost, but the higher the human cost, because the more lives lost. That, my friends, is the decision we are really making. Scroll down a little bit. He talks about what happens if you reopen, you're relaxing social distancing, the more people in contact with other people, the higher the infection rate of the spread of the virus, the more people who could get infected, the more people who die. We know that, Cuomo said. The governor again asked, and here it is. Yeah. How much is a human life worth? That's the real discussion that no one is admitting openly or freely, but we should. To me, I say cost of a human life a human life is priceless. Wow. He's now, really nailed something there, hasn't he? That's pretty stark, isn't yeah. it? And it's interesting that he would even need to say that. Some of us might say, well, of course, but there are all sorts of different ideas floating around about what a human life is worth. How do you work out what it's worth? Yeah. Why would it be priceless? And I think that's what we wanted to talk about as we dived into this first topic. Yeah, because figuring out what a human being is worth will actually, the outflow of our ethics, the way we think, the way we treat each other, all flows out of that on how, on what you think a human is worth and how you come to that kind of conclusion. And it's great that he's actually asking the question, particularly for a city that drives, is driven by economics yeah. and economy. Uh, you know, their hospitals are bursting at the scene, they can't keep up. And so they have to make this, this call on what this cost is worth. And it's, I think it's great that the question is on the table. Yeah. Because we often hear from our governments, you know, we've got to get the economy going and stuff. And they are trying to do the best thing by people. and But those things are important too. But mm. this, this question is the one where it says, well, what, what are people worth? And that will lead us to say, how am I going to look after others? Am I going to live my life in a way in this season where yep. I can look after others in the right way? Yeah. Um, so, so 
it's a good place to start because it'll inform everything else. Because we did say we wanted to be informative, right? That's so right. It, it kind of informs everything else. So where might we start? If we want to see what God has to say on what a human life is worth, where might we, we start in the Bible? Well, obviously one of the places that's... Sorry, one of the the places that's probably most obvious, sorry, uh, is is Genesis. But often, when you think about theological anthropology, people often go straight to Psalm eight, because there's this cry from the psalmist about creation. Now, hang on a second. You said theological anthropology, and oh. I said that before as well. Yeah. What what does that actually mean again? Well, theology is the study of God, and anthropology is the study of man. So it's the study of God and man. Okay. Is that okay? All right. That's fantastic. So that's what we're talking (laughs) about. God's view of man. God's view of man. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so Psalm 8. Sorry, I use man. I should say human. Human. Yeah. Please forgive me. Yeah, human. I'll I'll forgive you. Thank you. Just this once, just because it's the first episode. (laughs) (laughs) After that, no more chances. So Psalm 8, why would you go to Psalm 8? What's in Psalm 8? Well, Psalm 8 described, has the psalmist describing God's creation, its vastness, how big it is. Um, and he's obviously overwhelmed by it, I think, by the way he's writing it. And then in the middle of the psalm, so what, is, what are humans that you would even consider them? Yep. You've made them a little lower than the angels. And then he talks about what humanity was created to do as well, that is to rule over the creation. So the fact that the psalmist is wondering how such a great and amazing being would even consider someone as small as him. Yeah. Uh, And that's a good place to start because it shows the bigness of the creator but the worth of what he creates. Can I say that? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think that drives us back to Genesis, doesn't it? Because the psalmist is reflecting, I think, on what that teaching is in Genesis that... um, human beings are made at the end of a process of creation and are kind of the pinnacle of that process because out of everything that's made, uh, human beings alone are said to be created in the image of God Mm. and are therefore able to have a relationship with God in a way that's different to the rest of the creation. There's conversation that can happen between God, um, communication words, relationship Mm. um, that can happen. Uh, I was just reminded, uh, we're talking about what human beings are and why, what they're worth. Uh, I was watching Ricky Gervais on Netflix recently. He had a special called Humanity. And he said, human beings are basically just chimps. We share 96% of a chimp's DNA. So really, we're just an animal. Oh, okay. And um, there was that song a few years back, you know, you and me, uh, nothing but mammals. I can't remember how the rest of it goes. <laughs> I'm sorry if you've started singing that in your head. <laughs> but that is a, a view that's out there, isn't it? That yeah. that human beings are really just a type of animal. Yeah. And so we're... We're not worth more than an animal. An animal has the same worth as us. Yeah. And do you think this teaching in Genesis informs that, challenges that? I'm going to say it challenges it. Yeah. I think I'm going to say that because of what you just talked about, that the pattern of creation ends with um, 
with humanity and God saying it's very good at that point. I think yeah. that's important. But also that he gives humans a responsibility over creation. No other part of creation has that. Yeah. And so that's got to have mean that there's some sort of worth or value that God places in those that he puts there to rule over it and be responsible for it. Yep. And obviously, since the fall, we haven't done a great job of it. Look at where we are now with climate change and whatever. Um, but I think that, that tells me that God creates. He creates um, humanity and then says, I'm going to put you over it to rule over it, to be responsible for it. Yep. And, and that in itself, even just what God has given us to do as humans, shows that there is worth in humanity. Yeah. yeah. And there is a sense in using that word. Lots of ink has been spilled on what it means for us to be made in the image of God. Ah, oh, there it is. Uh, the image of God. The image of God. Uh, at least part of it has got to do with images in the ancient world were kind of meant to represent the, the king yeah. of which they were made or um, other gods. They were meant to represent that God's presence in this space. Mm. And uh, in the Old Testament, people are banned from making images of God because he's already made an image and yeah. that is people. And we are meant to somehow represent God on earth. We're meant to reflect his presence on earth, which is... Um, partly that ruling yep. over the creation we're, we're kind of given the free reign to co-create aren't we we're meant to cultivate the earth yep. we're meant to um, bring good things out of it shape it for the good of human beings yes. and for the glory of god yep. um so how does that idea then flow into new testament passages do we see that coming through into the new testament the image of God idea? Oh well, yes, we do. Yeah, <laughs> um, we see that in uh, Colossians one. Yep, is probably a big one. Fifteen to twenty three, I think it is. Um, you can look that up and check it. <laughs> uh, uh, that's that's obviously a big one. Um, we also see it in Hebrews, uh, where you know um, God's Son becomes the perfect image. Yeah. Uh, so you you do get those. Kind of thing, maybe two Corinthians four. Yeah, is it there somewhere? Yeah, I can't remember the verse. Is it four? Two yeah, Corinthians two four, Corinthians four. four. Yeah, I think. yeah. So, so the idea is obviously picked up there, but yep. also the fact the incarnation itself. Yeah, is a is a strong indicator in the New Testament of what it means to be made in the image of God. Yeah, because now we have the perfect human, right? Yeah, and uh, I think the Colossians one passage there is. Is you know Christ is the image of God, and again, there's all sorts of writing on this, and yeah. people trying to work out. I wonder whether God has the perfect image of humanity in His mind, which is Christ, before the creation of the world. That is, we're made in the image of the image before, and we're being remade into His image yeah. now by His Spirit as He kind of shapes us, yes. um, and so. We're kind of that's where that co-ruling idea comes from because Christ rules over yep. His creation. It's made by Him and for Him. Yeah. And if we were made to be like Him in the first instance, but then we we kind of lost it because of mm. sin. Now we're being remade to be like Him. Mm. I don't know. Do you think there's any warrant in that sort of thinking? Oh, I do. <laughs> <laughs> I'm uh, relieved. <laughs> <laughs> we're on the same page. Yeah. 
I, I, I kind of hear what you're saying is that Jesus was the plan all along. Yeah. And and, and I think that that's absolutely true. Because yeah. sometimes you hear people going, oh, yeah, we're going to go back to the garden and back to what Adam and Eve were. Yeah. Well, actually, I think we're looking forward, not back. Yeah. And that's what God intends for us. Yeah. And in the end, we call that hope. I was asked, can I just um, go back, come back with the Colossians? Yeah, one? yeah. You're talking about that Christ is the uh, image yep. of God. He actually uses um, the adjective invisible. Christ is the, the image of the invisible God, Yeah, I think. What do you make of that? Well. Uh, <laughs> no, that's good. It's good. Question with no notice. Fantastic. It's not like we're recording this or anything, so that's good. Uh, I like that um, you go back to John 1. That's where it takes me, you know, the, the, the word that was from the beginning and I guess unseen has now taken on flesh mm. so that we have seen him. Uh, yeah. And you go through to John 14, whoever's seen Jesus has seen the Father. Yeah. So this is God making himself known. When he makes himself known to us in the most profound way, in the sort of most climactic way of his revelation, it's as a person. Mm. Um, so there's a, yeah. a sense in which we can look at him as what we are meant to be, um, knowing that his perfect humanness uh, saves us from sin and saves us from corruption yeah. and then remakes us as he gives us his spirit, will remake us into being like him. So uh, the seenness comes in the form of the perfect image yeah. into which we're being remade. So coming back to our question about worth, mm. Um, that means human beings are then made in the image of God when he's made himself seen, mm. yeah. which is huge. Yeah, it is. Um, so that gets right to the heart of Cuomo's question, yeah, I think. Yeah. Um, what are we worth? We're worth more than we can imagine yeah. because of who made us and what he made us to be. Mm, yeah. yeah. I think that's that's a great point. And I think if we're going to answer the question, where you start with what gives a person worth is is really, really important. And because um, when we when we think about giving people worth, we'll we take the angles of what they look like or what they've achieved yep. or what they can do, um, whether they're married or not, who they're married to, or and we take those sort of things to give people their worth rather than think about, well, is there a starting point for this? And that mm. those those perceptions become our starting point rather than maybe what the truth is. Yeah. And um, <clears throat> this is one of the things that impressed me about um, a guy by the name of Gregory of Nyssa, because when we were thinking about this this topic today, uh, trying to find uh, someone that could talk into such a big topic of how you figure out what we're worth. Yeah. Um, this guy Gregory of Nyssa lived in the fourth century. Uh, he was one of Three guys known as the Three Cappadocians, and this was around the time they were writing the Nicene Creed, that sort of thing. What's a Cappadocian? It's an area that you live in. Oh, okay. Yep. Uh, Cappadocia. Right. Yeah. Okay, good. Uh, yeah. And uh, so he was one of those guys, and they were also writing around the time that the Arian heresy came out. Do you remember what the Arian heresy is? Oh, it's a guy... Uh, Called Arius, I think. Oh, yes. This is good. This is taking me back to second year college exams, Paul. You're Church freaking history. me out. Yeah. Um, I think he was a guy who had something to say about 
who Jesus was or yeah. what, what he was. The thing about um, the Arian heresy was that it spread through kind of pub songs. Yeah. <laughs> so so songwriters have a lot to answer for in their church history. <laughs> they do. So, yeah, popular songs talked about Jesus' nature, how if he was God, if he was human, when he was God, when he was human. Mm. Uh, is, oh, I think that's... You nailed it, mate. There we go. That's good. So, so, so the modern-day Aryans are the JWs. Okay. Okay, and right. so that's the kind of line that they take. And so this guy, Gregory of Nyssa, was writing and against those sorts of things and putting and came to a conclusion. In fact, one thing I was reading on Gregory of Nyssa said that they like spent 70 years researching and writing on this kind of stuff. Yeah. But he wrote this great piece um, called The Making of Man. And in that piece, he had a section called that the nature of man is more precious than all the visible creation, right? Which right. is kind of what we were talking about yeah, a minute right. ago. And, and what I liked about this is that it's not just that God created man, but... Um, as, as Nissa said, he created man with circumspect. So he thought about what he was doing. Okay. So when you look at Genesis 1 and the creation, pattern of creation, it's God created, God created, God created. But then he stops and he says, let us make humans in our image. Yep. And he also talks about um, the fact that he thought about what hum- the purpose of humans would be. So let me read you a quote from it because yep. I, I think it's really interesting for this, what we're talking about today. So he says, But it is right that we should not leave this point without consideration, that while the world, great as it is, and its parts, are laid as an elemental foundation for the formation of the universe, the creation is, so to say, made offhand by the divine power existing once on his command, while counsel precedes the making of man and that which is to be foreshown by the maker in verbal description and of what kind it is fitting that it should be and he goes on to talk about in that kind of language so So, there was thought given to the creation okay the translation of that is there was yeah there was thought there's intentionality yeah uh i mean i guess there's intention in all of creation but i think he's saying there's a a pause in the creation and a and even more intentionality. Yeah, is that right? That's right. And, and the second part of this little part of his, his writing, he says, Oh, marvellous. <laughs> a sun is made and no council proceeds. A heaven likewise. And to these, no single thing in creation is equal. So great a wonder is formed by word alone. And the saying indicates neither when nor how, nor any such detail. So too, in all particular cases, <laughs> goes the ether, the stars, the intermediate air, the sea, the earth, the animals, the plants, all are brought into being with a word. While only to the making of man does the maker of all draw near with circumspection, so as to prepare before him, sorry, beforehand for him material for his formation, mm-hmm. interesting observation, and to liken his form to an archetypal beauty and setting before him a mark for which he is to come into being, to make for him a nature appropriate and allied to the operations and suitable for the object in hand. Okay. So, which is just expanding on what you just said. Okay. That, that God has created these other great things that are wondrous. Yep. And so is humanity. But God's given it thought yep. and real purpose. Yep. So if that's us in the mind of God before he creates us, yeah. it adds weight to Psalm 8. What is God that we are mindful of him before creation? Yeah. Just like he was... He thought of Jesus and what he would be before creation. Yep. Same thing for us. Yeah. That's yeah. great, isn't it? Amazing. That's great. So 
this is not a new question. And it's good for us, I guess, to see that it's not a new question. And people were wrestling with this way back, way back when. I mean, this question, I think, was brought to bear in the ancient Roman world with the practice of infanticide. Mm. Uh, Kids who weren't wanted, if you had too many mouths to feed or you had too many, sadly, this was true, too many females or a child with any sort of disability they were left mm. they were they were taken out to the mountain and exposed and left and the christians actually went and rescued yeah. these these children and kept them because they were driven by this uh, understanding that human beings are precious they mm. they they're so precious because of who they are in god's eyes they're, yeah. they're made by god to know God in God's image. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's a great point. So it's interesting, isn't it? Like you said, like in the fourth century, they're thinking about it. Here we are in the 21st and we're thinking about it, yep. asking the same question, or at least the government of New York is making us think about it. Even with the Enlightenment, yep. we're still asking the same question. So what's the Enlightenment again? <laughs> you went there. Four hours. <laughs> The Enlightenment was a change in the way people thought. Right. Kind of in line with the around the time of the Reformation, I think. Okay. And so we're talking fifteenth, sixteenth century. Yeah, I think so. That kind of time. Yep. Yeah. Yep. yep. Have you been corrected on that? But it was a, a movement of, um, uh, you know, having this. We, we became more rational in our thinking, okay. more scientific in our thinking. We can figure this out on our own, more logical. Yep. Faith didn't really have as much a part to play yep. in the way that we thought about things. Okay. Yep. So we thought we got this. Yeah. Is, yeah. is my kind of my idea of the motto of the Enlightenment. Yeah. Uh, and there was a huge confidence in yep. the power of humanity to work it all out from ground level up, wasn't it? That's so exactly we don't need God anymore. We, we can work it out. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. But as we can see, if we actually do turn to God and his view of the worth of humanity, we've actually got a really great starting point. Yeah. That it, we were in his mind even before him. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. And the Enlightenment can't pick that up. Yeah. Hmm. So we're, we're in the middle of great moments in theological anthropology. <laughs> and we've heard from Gregory of Nyssa, who's a Cappadocian. He is. Are there any other great moments that you wanted to share with us, Paul? <laughs> Well, that's not lit at all. Um, well, this, uh, there are so many, Keith. <laughs> uh, and, and as I said before, like this was really hard because when we thought about this idea of great moments in theological anthropology to throw in here, because this is so broad, you know. So I thought, well, Gregory of Nyssa, right at the start, we've obviously looked at the Bible, which is before that. So maybe someone um, from now... Um, so he's written a book recently called Known by God, Brian Rosner. Uh, actually, I found it a terrific book to read. Okay. Um, and he also picks up this idea of the value of humans. Uh, and he says in his book, um, talking about Psalm 144, he says, Humans are those for whom God cares and whom he, about whom he thinks. So he yep. picks up the Gregory of Nyssa idea. The verb to care is yaha. Or chacha, whatever you'd say it. So can you uh, just clean Hebrew? off that microphone yeah, now? <laughs> and in other contexts, it's usually translated to know. So here it means that God takes notice of us. Okay. In other words, human beings are those of whom God takes knowledge, those who are known by God. Um, 
And so that, that I, obviously the idea is consistent. So that's a relational concept of the image of God yeah. that uh, what's different about human beings from the rest of creation yeah. is the capacity to be in a relationship with God uh, I guess, which is usually expressed with words, you know, prayer and God speaks to us in his word and we can read it and understand it. But but even prior to that, it's about God knowing yeah. us, which is really, really important for a lot of things. I think we'll come back to this in another episode, but just on the area of disability mm. and those who in society's eyes don't contribute mm. Um, their worth lies not in that, but the fact that God made them and knows them. Yeah. The knowing aspect of God towards them, that's where their worth lies. It's not in them and what they can bring. Yeah. God's already brought it in them when he made them. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. I think that's why I like this area of thinking so much is because sometimes we talk about you have to know God, you have to find him. All this. Actually, he comes and finds you. Yes. He pursues you because he knows you. Yeah. And I think that's one of the beauties of this. Yeah. That it makes us remember that. Yep. So if I'm known by God, if I'm loved by God, then I can know others, whether they have a disability or not. Yeah. Whether they're a believer or not. I think one of the things we also have in common is for our research paper in that subject, you wrote on the image of God in the disabled. Yep. I think. Yep. And I wrote on the image of God in the unbeliever. Yep. And so this angle of you are known by God, um, like blankets all those kind of aspects and gives us uh, something that unites us yep. as humanity, which I really like. Yeah. Great place to start. So we're, we're starting to unpack now really what all of this means. If we can answer the question, what is a human life worth? And we're seeing from the Bible, we're probably agreeing with Cuomo's quote, it's a uh, human life is, is priceless uh, from that point of view. Um, what, wh- how does that flow out into what we do, how we live our lives, how we think about people? And I think, I mean, one of the, the big movements that's happening, you know, right now as we're recording is we've seen race riots, mm-hmm. Across the globe, it's it's sort of staggering. It started with that uh, incident in the U.S. with um, uh, George Floyd, who was, um, you know, caught on video being killed mm-hmm. <laughs> by police, even though he was yeah. uh, sort of helpless. And that has stirred up, I think, feeling that was always there simmering underneath in the U.S. Mm-hmm. about how people of color were treated. Um, and then, then we've seen marches, demonstrations across yeah. the globe in sympathy. It's, it's a staggering yeah. sort of response, isn't it? Now, how does this idea speak into how we think about what's going on there? Yeah. Yeah, did you want to answer that? <laughs> <laughs> or go first? <laughs> yeah, because yeah, the whole uh, Black Lives Matter Thing right yeah, is, is huge, and even here in Australia, we have to deal with our own demons yeah. on that front. Yep, and rightly so. Yep, um, but it does it does flow over to say that uh, you know, Black Lives Matter because all lives matter. You know, yes. and I don't want to trivialise the Black Lives Matter movement because I think it's important, uh, but it, it it makes me view people differently. Yeah, because 
uh, I'm viewed by God a particular way. Yeah. And so is another human being. Yeah. Having that kind of knowledge helps me think about how I treat people, how I care for them. Yeah. Even how I think about them. Yeah. Uh, so obviously this has got massive implications. Yeah. And there are so many topics that could come out of this. But but knowing what someone is worth and, and actually knowing what something is worth to God, yeah. who is my Lord, yeah. um, helps me to see the flow on from that differently yeah. it also helps me you know obviously it informs our ethics as well uh how we view those sort of things and work them out which again is another topic yeah, um, yeah i'm not sure what else to say yeah well i i think i mean that's that's really helpful and, and on the back of that what this teaching that we're in the image of god does with regard to race it um it adds value it shows the value of every person, regardless of their history, mm. regardless of their origin, mm. regardless if uh, of their nationality mm. uh, or their citizenship. Those things don't matter to God. Mm. What matters to God is that he made them and he made them and loved them so much that he sent his son to die for them. Yep. And that must view the way... Uh, view uh, shape the way that we view every other person yeah. um you know i was having a chat with um a brother last week mm. uh in the wake of the black lives matter movement and the the, the whole thing that had been stirred up about race across the world yeah. and he shared with me some terrible stories mm. of in his background he has dark skin mm. and just these horrific incidences of how he'd been treated mm because people hadn't treated him as a person they'd they'd just seen a color and they'd attached a derogatory value yeah. to that color and then behaved in that way and uh th there's no scope for that 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 sort of behavior is just incompatible with christian thinking um and you know there is a a, a hope a real a lovely life-giving grace to this truth for people to come to God, come to God through the gospel and find out that they're valued along with everyone else. So, uh, you know, the human tendency is to want to build ourselves up as people by putting other people down. Mm. You know, we try and find what it is that, that elevates us so that we think we're worth something. Yeah. And so often it's by putting other people down. Yeah. Um, and race is one of those ways that yeah. you know, people want to feel superior because, look, there's someone or a group of people who are different to me. And because there's some sort of superficial difference, therefore, there must be a difference in value. Yeah. And that just won't fly, yeah. you know. And so there's that beautiful scene in Revelation where what exists in heaven in the end is, you know, this gathering of every tribe and nation and color and the richness of that yeah. is fantastic. So whatever prejudices I think uh, are inherent in our culture or have been passed on to us through family lines or through peer groups, social groups that we've associated with as we've grown up, yeah. this teaching of mankind, humankind in the image of God just smashes right through that like a wrecking ball. And yeah. we've got to allow our minds and our attitudes to be reshaped by the gospel mm. on this point. Uh, and, you know, you're right. We have our own demons 
in Australia that we've got to deal with. And it, but it starts with each individual person. You know, if you find that you are have this tendency to treat other people badly based on their ethnicity or their color or whatever, mm. we've got to repent of that. Yeah, we do. And and then again, find forgiveness in the gospel, and then let your mind be shaped yeah. by the Spirit of God and to see people in this, in this different way. Yeah, that's really helpful. Yeah. Yeah, we do. Well, one of the things we talked about, Keith, when we're putting this cod part, podcast, cod past, podcast, <laughs> putting this podcast together, you can take that out, hear that on the podcast together was um thinking outside the boundary yeah thinking thinking bigger yep and um and given you know your aptitude for uh thinking and humor and those sorts of things i was wondering whether you wanted to contribute something here that might help us to think a little differently i'm glad you've raised that paul <laughs> because as we were were talking about this i thought a, a great way for us to wrap up each episode would be to find some poetry that spoke to the theme of you know, theological anthropology, what God thinks of human beings. And there's great minds and great writers throughout history who've spoken on this and they, they use words in a really, you know, clever and powerful way to express themes quite succinctly and to, to cut through. Excellent. And so I started doing some research on those, but I got sort of halfway in and I thought, you know what? I could have a crack at this. You could have a crack at yeah. this. Yeah. So we're not talking like, about a Gregory of Nyssa kind of person. We're well, about no, a- Keith of Kellyville is more <laughs> more like it. what it what it is. What a kingdom that is. Um, but you know, it turns out it's not that hard to write something profound. It's not that hard. Not that hard. Not that hard. So not for Keith of Kellyville. So here we go with the with the effort. See what you think. This poem is called "Worth More." Worth more. Worth more. By Keith. By Keith Baker. Okay. I wondered. And I thought too soon, am I just a hairless baboon or worth more than a doubloon or a tree? Because trees are good. They give you wood, but they're not like me, I think. Therefore, I am? No, the great I am says I'm worth more for sure. For even though I strain and scrimmage, I know you and me, bro, we're made in God's image. Keith, that there are no words. <laughs> okay, so that's my first effort. All right, so maybe it'll get better as we go. Yeah, um, it may not make the Keith Baker joke book. Yeah, well, um, but. Yeah, it's look, a look, good start, mate. That's okay. Look, I found I actually found someone who knows how to write. Uh, C.S. Lewis, you heard of him? Yeah, <laughs> a he, few things. I've he's heard done of him. a couple yeah. of things. Excellent. So he wrote this poem, which I I like, and to stay with it because at the end, what he's talking about is that connection between God and human beings that's different from everything else in creation, even angels. Yeah. Right. So angels, we think are. These profound beings very close to God, but angels are not made in the image of God. Only human beings are. Yeah. So this poem's called On Being Human by C.S. Lewis. Angelic minds, they say, by simple intelligence, behold the forms of nature. They discern unerringly the archetypes, 
all the verities which mortals lack or indirectly learn. Transparent in primordial truth, unvarying, pure earthness and right stonehood from their clear high eminence are seen. Unveiled, the seminal huge principles appear. The treeness of the tree they know. The meaning of arboreal life. How from earth's salty lap the solar beams uplifts it. All the holiness enacted by leaves fall and rising sap. But never an angel knows the knife-edged severance of sun from shadow where the trees begin. The blessed cool at every pore caressing us. An angel has no skin. They see the form of air, but mortals breathing it drink the whole summer down into the breast. The lavish pinks, the field new moan, the ravishing sea smells, the wood fire smoke that whispers rest. The tremor on the rippled pool of memory that from each smell in widening circles goes, the pleasure and the pang. Can angels measure it? An angel has no nose. The nourishing of life and how it flourishes on death and why they utterly know. But not the hill-born earthy spring, the dark cold bilberries, the ripe peach from the southern wall still hot, full-bellied tankards foamy-topped, the delicate half-lyric lamb, the new loaf's billowy curves, nor porridge nor the tingling taste of oranges. An angel has no nerves. Far richer they, I know the senses which regards us like air from heavens too big to see. Imminent death to man that barbed sublimity and dazzling edge of beauty unsheathed would be. Yet here, within this tiny charmed interior, this parlour of the brain, their maker shares with living men some secrets in a privacy forever ours, not theirs. Fantastic. Isn't that great? That is so good. Now, there's someone who knew how to they did. do Ma- words. Ma- you're a gnat swing away. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm on the way up. We'll see how we go. That was really great. Thanks. Really good find. Well, thank you. Um, thank you for hanging out with us today and listening in on our conversation. Uh, hopefully some of this has been helpful. We've had a good time. We've had a great started, time, yeah. Getting started. We weren't sure what was going to happen. And uh, we're grateful to Hugh, who's helped us get this together. Oh, Thanks, big brother. shout out to yeah. Hugh, our producer, Woo-hoo. sitting here, telling us what to do. Fantastic. <laughs> so, um, so in the future, we're, we're hoping to have a few more episodes of this, maybe take on a, a, a tighter topics uh, than, than what we did today. But today was to really just to get started. Um, and things that we uh, read or things that we found helpful, we'll um, make, avail- we'll make available where you can get them, sorry. Um, find it where you can get them from and uh, notes and books that you might want to read up further on. Um, but again, thanks for joining us today and we hope there's something helpful for you. Bye, Keith. See you, Paul. We'll <laughs> see you next time, everyone. <laughs>